0: Hey, everybody, Donald Wine here from the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Before we get started with episode 414, I just want to come on and make a quick note that this episode was recorded on Tuesday, just after we recorded episode 413. Now, that's going to be before we heard reports that Mike Schragge, who was the head coach at Elon University, uh, resigned from that position to apparently take a new spot, a new role, within the Duke program under new head coach, John Shire. So we obviously will talk a lot about that on a future show. You will not hear about this on episode 414, but we want to make that note so that you were aware that yes, we are on it and we will talk about it shortly. It just will not appear on this particular show. We also know that today We will hear from some recruits in the future of the program in 2023, Class of 2023. We have a couple of recruits that are scheduled to make their announcements either tonight or this weekend. We obviously will talk about that when those occur. But for now, sit tight. We will talk about those on a future show, but hopefully you get to enjoy this one. This is episode 14 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast.
1: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 414. It's a of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are releasing this episode, I believe, on Thursday, April 7th, 2022, a few days after the National Championship game. Full disclosure, we're recording this one soon after we recorded episode 413. So at this exact moment, it is April 5th, 2022. We reserve the right to be wrong about any predictions we make today over the next couple of days because we recorded this thing in advance. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I'm joined as always by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. We have a few things to talk about, but guys, how are we doing? Jason, what's going on, man?
2: Uh, not much. Seeing as we just did an earlier episode and I told you I, I had enjoyed watching the end of the national championship game. I'm not sure what's changed about me in the past hour. <laughs> you,
1: you, you've gotten, uh, I think you've gotten even more cheerful than you were at the beginning of the show. So you, you seem to be, you seem to be loose. Donald is also here. Donald, well, any, you know any what it is, Sam? You? Sam, you know what it yes. is?
2: When I hang with you guys, I get happy. See, that's, Aww. that's the,
1: I, I just, I TG you up for it and you, you slammed it home. I was, I was Jeremy Roach and you were Mark Williams. Donald Wine, what's up, man?
0: Uh, it's been so long that since I've, last talk to you guys I think has been about uh, three seconds since I last talked to you but uh, no
1: I'm really excited to learn who won the stats game because I think that's what we're going to talk about today yes so we are going to do the stats game recap as we mentioned on the last show we are going to recap the stats game if you are new to the show if you were not with us at the beginning of the season and have not been with us in previous seasons we play a game every season, the three of us. We invite the listeners to chime in. I, uh, In my last few minutes of, of searching through the forums, I couldn't find the thread. I need to do this next year. So, so folks can, can jump in if they, if they beat us, if they know they beat us. But uh, I pick a series of uh, statistical outcomes for Duke that we need to guess the answers on. And three of us do that. Guys who come closest to the answers uh, take the category. And whoever wins the most categories gets to win the stats game. Uh, we are also a few years behind on following up with a listener who told us he would buy us a trophy that we could share amongst each other. Let me, let me make this promise now. I will commit to guess getting the trophy this summer. I am going to make that happen. The trophy is going to happen. And right now, I am going to reveal who won the stats game in as entertaining of a fashion as I possibly can. So, gentlemen, before I start, any guesses on who won the stats game? Donald. Me. It was Donald. Jason, who was it? I, I Sam, I think you won. Jason thinks that Sam won. Uh, Donald thinks that Donald won. I can't tell you because I know who won already. So it would be unfair for me to guess. I am going. I got to I I bet on myself. I got to bet on myself. It, well, I even it if I'm wrong, some
2: of the there are some of the categories that we sort of remember throughout the year. Like we go, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's not enough. We don't it,
1: remember enough of them to to actually make a difference. So, but I,
2: but I was going to say the ones that I that I do remember that we talk about, I feel like Donald's done really well on those.
1: Okay, so so let's get into it. I'm going to start with one, one category where I would like to clarify, and I will keep the the identity of the the potential winner here out because in our guess for... So, so the first set of categories is just a uh, number of basic stats per game. So we'll do points per game, assists per game, rebounds, et cetera. So in the assists per game category, um, all of us guessed the, the wrong person for the assists category. This wasn't particularly interesting because we all guessed that Jeremy Roach would uh, lead the team in assists. We were, all long, we were all wrong because it was Wendell Moore. Now, do we want to count the person who got the closest on the number for Wendell Moore because that was the tiebreaker? Or do we want to just say that nobody gets the point for that category? And I'll, I'll let both of you chime in here and we can have a quick discussion about it before I award the point.
2: So I, I want to be clear. What, what we had done was when there was a category where all three of us picked the same person, we said, okay, we will pick their number of assists, rebounds, blocks, exactly. whatever it may be. Um, I think if we all picked incorrectly, the fact that one of us picked the correct number for the wrong player doesn't feel like you earn a point, but that's just me. Okay. Correct.
0: Donald? That's, that's, I'm in that boat. We, we've never given, I don't
2: think we've given points for people getting
0: the wrong answer, and I don't think we should start here.
1: Okay, great. Well, I'm glad that you two are in agreement about this because I was going to selfishly uh, vouch for doing it the other way because I was the one that got closest <laughs> to the uh, average assist number for Wendell Moore. Ah, I had... Sneaky, look, sneaky. No, no, no. See, I I, I brought it up. I, I I, anonymized and I wanted to get your inputs. I was actually, um, even, even before thinking, like if you had asked me about this beforehand, I can't say this with, with all certainty, but I might've said in the interest of more points are more fun, I might've said... Fine. Give the give the tiebreaker to the person who got closest on the number. But the two of you disagreed with me and we live in a in a fair society, at least within the confines of this show.
2: So I, I think in the future, what we should do is if we all guess the same person, we should then guess, OK, who do you think will come a in second, second person? Yeah, because that way, uh, like like if we'd all guessed a second person and we hadn't all guessed Wendell Moore, I feel like whoever had gotten Wendell Moore for second deserves a point more than the person who said 4.3 assists for Jeremy Roach. And yeah, then, exactly. You know. Okay. So,
1: so great. I, I think that's remember that in the fall. <laughs> Not only are we a fair society, but we iterate and improve every year because we are because um, we're good like that. All right. So no points awarded for assists per game. Let's go to points per game. Uh, all of us guessed that Paulo Banquero was going to lead the team in points. So we went to the tiebreaker of each guessing the number of points Jason Evans guessed that Paulo would uh, score 18.7 points per game. His was the lowest guess of the three. Paulo actually uh, averaged just 17.2 points per game. What a slacker. So Jason gets the point. Yes. Uh, very good. Very good, Jason. The, uh, the key for Paulo this Stop season. The count.
2: Stop the count. The key, <laughs> the key
1: for Jason winning this category was that in the middle of ACC play, basically in the month of February, Um, Paulo averaged just 13 points a game from the UNC game until the UVA game. It was like a, uh, little over a two week stretch. So, um, that was what really did him in end of the season. He was great early in the season. He was great middle of the season, as you'll recall, not as many points. All right.
2: Well, but I would like to point out that if he had, if his February, if that stretch, that bad stretch had been the way the rest of the season was, he probably still would have averaged right around what I predicted of 18.7 points.
1: Okay. Smart guy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, Donald and I weren't that far off. Donald had 20.1. I had 20.2. Rebounds per game. Paulo Banquero led the team in rebounds per game. Both Donald and I predicted that. Uh, Jason predicted that Mark Williams would lead the team in rebounds. It was actually a very close match. Paulo, 7.8 rebounds per game. Mark Williams, 7.4 rebounds per game. So no one should feel uh, no one should feel bad about their prediction in this one. But Donald and I each get the point.
0: I like points. I'll just...
1: I'll keep, I'll keep rolling un, un, unless uh, you guys have reactions. Mark Williams, blocks per game. We decided not to pick just straight who's going to lead the team in blocks because that would have been ridiculous. Of course, Mark Williams was going to lead the team in blocks. Jason Evans actually took this category with a guess of 2.9. Mark averaged 2.8 blocks per game. I guess 2.3. Donald guessed 2.5. I think Walker Kessler had about 17 po- uh, blocks per game uh, this season. So congratulations to Jason. <laughs> You're in the lead.
2: Stop the count.
1: <laughs> Jason, I got a two-one lead. <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be really upset in a few minutes, Jason. I'm really oh sorry. Boy. Uh, assists per game, nobody gets a point, as I mentioned before. Steals per game, the last of the five uh, key counting stats was uh Jason and I both picked Wendell Moore to lead the team in uh in steals per game. Donald picked Trevor Keels. Um Keels was second on the team in in steals per game, and all three of uh, more Keels and Paulo Bancaro averaged over one one steal per game but Wendell Moore averaged 1.4 so that's a point for me and Jason so great job it, that great was pretty close,
0: us. wasn't it like I think the it, number it was pretty was close
1: like, well, separated this is, to
0: like maybe five or ten
1: yeah it's always a, it's always a tight category because there just aren't as many steals as there are points and rebounds highest field goal percentage now we all picked Mark Williams which was a fairly obvious guess. The best I was guess, way too
2: high. Oh, way too low. I think.
1: Uh yeah. Jason guessed sixty-two percent. I guess sixty-seven. Donald guessed sixty-nine. Mark Williams averaged seventy-two percent from the field. That's outrageous. Yeah, he's a beast. Theo John came in second place behind Mark Williams. He averaged sixty-point-five percent from the field. Wendell Moore was a cool fifty percent from the field. So a great, a great scoring season for Wendell Moore. But but Mark Williams doesn't take shots outside of five feet. He hit seventy-two percent of the shots he took, so that's a point for Donald.
2: And when he does take shots outside of five feet, he makes them. (laughs) He made them, so
1: (laughs) that is true. That is true. Oof. Oh, but free throws at the end. Never mind. We're not going to. No, we're Uh -uh. not. We're not going to go there. Not happening. Uh, Highest three-point field goal percentage. We all picked different guys for this one. I had Trevor Keels. uh, Donald Wine had the right answer with with AJ Griffin. Jason picked Joey Baker. I was the the worst in this category by a long shot Trevor Keels I think only averaged about 31% from 3 um but AJ Griffin hit 45% of his three point field goals this season for Duke he was uh, absolutely a revelation for the Blue Devils in in conference play uh on the you know mostly on the back of his of his three point field goal shooting percentage so Donald gets that one
2: I like that I, man. my man, by the way, I I feel pretty good about I mean Joey hit 40% of his threes you know He did
1: he did. That was a, that was admirable, but he was not, he was not nearly as good as AJ Griffin. Uh, no, AJ Griffin I, like, I, I, like, I want to like f- best in the country type. Good.
2: Yeah. I want to freely admit, uh, you know, big props to Donald because when he picked AJ Griffin, I thought Donald had lost his mind. I thought he was crazy. I thought there was no way AJ Griffin would be that good from three point range. And I was so, 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 so wrong. I knew, I, I knew, but I, I believed him a boy.
1: Donald, Donald, you don't know. You don't know anything. We don't know anything. That's the, no, that's to be the fair, fun of the we, thing. We
0: talked about the we did talk about the one, like the the what was it, half attempt a game or one attempt per game, like the minimum. Yes. And I was like, Yeah, he's gonna hit that on the minimum. And he's not I thought he wasn't gonna take as many three pointers. He actually took way more three pointers than I thought he would, uh, because I was banking on him taking a few three pointers a game and just hitting, you know, close to you know, forty-five, fifty percent of them. And I was right.
1: All right. On the uh, in the category of most free throw attempts, we all guessed that Paulo Carroll would lead the team in free throw attempts. Uh, he did lead the team in, in free throw attempts per game. He, he averaged 4.8. Donald guessed uh, that he would average 5.8, which was the closest we all guessed too high. I had 6.3 and Jason had 6.8. So Donald gets the point for free throw attempts. Donald, would you like to gloat about this one? Yes. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Uh, most. Most field goal attempts um, per game. Uh, Paulo Bancaro also led this category, as we predicted. Uh, but in this one, instead of uh, instead of our guesses all being too high, they were all too low. Paulo averaged 13.2 field goal attempts per game. I guessed 13, which was the highest. Uh, Donald came in at 12. Jason was right in the middle at at 12 and a half. It seems like we did the right research here because we were all uh, we were all in line. We're,
2: we're in the we're in the ballpark there. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty darn good.
1: I think that's mm-hmm. good. Here comes the next category that I am very proud of, and that we knew going in. I had already won because because uh, we had talked about it a few weeks ago when Jeremy Roach finally broke through and led the team in scoring. I predicted that six players would lead Duke in scoring this season. You two guessed five. Uh, you weren't sure who. I, I don't. I don't remember uh, from our original conversation who you thought was not going to lead the team in scoring, but all six of Duke's uh, main scoring contributors at some point this season led the team in scoring. That's Jeremy Roach. In addition to Paulo Bancaro, Trevor Keels, AJ Griffin, Mark Williams, and of course the captain Wendell Moore Jr.
2: I, I remember when I, when I guessed that category, I thought that Jeremy Roach wouldn't quite get there and I was wrong. So I think, I, lesson, I think learned, I too.
1: lesson learned. I'm smart in this one category. Number of Paulo Bancaro double doubles. Uh, he underwhelmed our predictions. Donald was the lowest with 13. The actual number was 12. I had 15. Jason had 16. But again, we were right in the, uh, we were right, in the right ballpark on on the number of Paulo Banquero double-doubles. So good job to Donald. And he was, I
0: mean, he was very close to getting a couple of more. It's not like he had, uh, you know, 12 distinct double-double games. There was a couple where he got eight rebounds, nine rebounds or something like that. And it just fell just short.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. It was, it was an outstanding season for Paulo Bancaro. I, I, I think when we look back on this season with a little bit more time, we're going to realize that this was one of the better one-and-done seasons that, that Duke has seen was the one that Paulo just turned in. Um, on the topic of, of freshmen, uh, this was one of the questions coming into the season was sort of what, what does the rotation look like and who's going to be starting? Uh, and the way that we decided to turn this into a stats game category was number of non-starts for Trevor Keels. So uh, this became an interesting category because in the middle of the season, Trevor Keels suffered an injury. And then when he was returning from that injury, he wasn't starting. And then at the end of the season, of course, he got moved to the bench for the eight, for the NCAA tournament in favor of his former running mate, Jeremy Roach. So in total Trevor Keels played in 10 games that he didn't start. I was the high guess on this one. I said that there would be nine of these games. Donald had five. Jason had three. Jason was very in on Trevor Keels. Uh, apparently early in the season knew he was going to be a starter and uh and anyway that's just the way the chips fell so i get the point for the uh for the trevor keels non-starts turned out as we as we talked about to be a very interesting category although perhaps not in the way that we anticipated
2: yeah and and the interesting thing was i remember when i said three i said i'll say three just because maybe he gets injured at some point i thought he would he would play every he would start every single game that he wasn't injured and, and you're right Sam I, I feel like the injury that, that he that he suffered you know set him back um, but but by the end of the season it was clear that he was not starting because Jeremy Roach was playing so so well yeah I think Jeremy Roach won the starting job it wasn't that
0: Trevor Keels at, lost it at any point but um, I think I was in the same boat as you Jason I think I factored in a, a game or two due to injury and then a couple where if we had a bad loss, like that coach K would kind of shuffle the lineup around like he tends to do uh, during his career.
1: Let's go to a similar category, but one that is not as fun to discuss, which is Joey Baker starts. Uh, I think we were we were potentially hoping that, that Joey Baker might have a better season than he did in his senior year at Duke and his captain year at Duke. Uh, he didn't start a single game for the Blue Devils this season, not even on senior night. Jason gets the point for this one because he predicted one start for Joey Baker, probably because of of senior night. Uh, I had three, and Donald had four. I I think Donald. Tell me if if I'm wrong here. I think looking ahead to the season, we thought that there's a lot of young guys. You know, things are going to go things are going to go awry at some point in the season, and Coach K might feel like it's just worth having the veterans start the game um, just to show the young guys what's up.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or just you know, I think we also talked about during the. You know, how, who would lead the team in points? There'd be a game where Joey Baker would get a start and light up the you know light up the world for like twenty points off of like six seven threes, and that just didn't come to fruition. So I, I think when it comes to Joey Baker, it, it you know it may not have been a senior season. I think we alluded to that in an earlier show um, that it may not have been his final year at Duke, uh, but at least for this year, it was kind of underwhelming in the in the sense that we thought he'd get a lot more action than we saw him.
1: Let's talk about another experienced guy who contributed a lot for the Blue Devils in a in a support role this season. That was Theo John. We were trying to guess his total minutes played. Uh, Donald had 400, Jason had 570, and I had the Goldilocks number. I guess 415, and the actual number was 428 minutes played for Theo John. He averaged just over 11 minutes a game, which I think if we you know if we sort of go back to the beginning of the season, if we tell you that Theo John's averaging 11 minutes per game, we'd probably say Duke is probably right in their, in their sweet spot there. That means that, that Mark Williams is, is probably averaging 30 minutes a game or, or close to it, and that is probably a good sign for the Blue Devils.
2: And, you know, I do want to say about Theo John. Guys, if we can get away from stats for a second, I thought Theo John was way better than I expected he would be this year. Both in leadership and in performance on the court, um, he was great, and uh, – I, I as much as I didn't want him to play because I wanted Mark Williams to play as much as possible. <laughs> whenever Theo was in the game, I felt like uh, Duke, Duke the Duke middle was in pretty good hands. He was the yeah, punisher. I don't
0: think he was the he was the punisher. He was the enforcer. He was everything in that regard that I expected him to be to come in and be a, a veteran presence on the floor, not just to calm guys down, but to also lead by example and lead by that physical effort that he was able to give. Uh, and so for that, I, I think we were all in agreement before the season that that's what we were looking for from him. And I think he, ex- you know, he even exceeded our expectations there.
2: And and you know, for a guy who only plays for Duke for one year, who only averages eleven minutes per game, I feel like really beloved by Duke fans. Like, absolutely, I, yeah. Like Theo John is absolutely part of the brotherhood, and and we know him, and he will be welcome back at Duke anytime. Um, I don't know whether, you know, he had a really infectious smile. And, and and actually, the thing I remember the most about Theo John, dude didn't sit down. When he wasn't in the game, Not Never, he was Not standing never. by the bench. Like, he was engaged. And I hope every, God, I, I hope we get another transfer guy like that this year. Just, he was all in on this team. And, and you know that he loved making it all the way to the Final Four and then playing a very, very big role in, in that Final Four game. Yeah, I mean, for
0: him, that's exactly what, what you're looking for, right? That that is the dream for him. He transferred from Marquette. He was looking for one last shot to get to a, you know, get to a tournament and really excel in the tournament. He got all the way to the final four. Like he has a hat that says that he's a member of the brotherhood and that he got to the final four in his senior season. Can't be prouder of him.
1: Look, was he a little foul prone? Yes. Did he not make every easy shot that he should have made? Yes. But if those, if those uh, things weren't true, if he was better than that, then he wouldn't be Mark Williams' backup to the tune of 10 minutes a game, he would be starting for a for a good program because he's huge and athletic and fast. And as we noted, has all the has all the intangibles. He's like he's like the most into the game player that Duke had on, on the roster this season. I, I totally agree with you guys. I'm so glad that uh, the Duke went out and I don't know how much we had to find Theo John because he was playing for Steve Wojciechowski before this season but they were able to to bring him in and make him a a key part of the team this season. He was, he was crucial in getting Duke to the final four.
2: There there was never a second, not a single second that he was on the floor that I didn't think he was giving 110%.
1: Absolutely. Even if that meant 110% in fouling guys, but whatever, that was, that was part of his job. So, uh, Mm -hmm. so, so hats off to him. All right. Bates Jones, three pointers made. Uh, Another category where we did a pretty good job of guessing here. We did not think that Bates Jones was going to be playing huge minutes, but he did play some Donald guessed that he would, uh, that he would make eight three pointers. He actually made nine. Jason had five. I had six. So Donald gets this category for Bates Jones three pointers made not as many minutes played guys as, as Theo John, but, um, but nonetheless, a, a useful, you know, eighth, ninth man uh, on this roster was, was clearly ahead of Joey Baker in the rotation. Uh, despite, you know, all the years not spent playing at Duke.
0: And at times we, you know, we heard his name in the first half doing things that were pretty good, you know, hitting threes uh, against Syracuse. We talked about, we, we on the show correctly predicted that the Bates Jones show was going to happen during that first Syracuse game. And he was able to not, he he didn't score a lot of points, but he was able to move the ball around and be uh, someone who could torment that patented two, three matchup zone uh, and get into positions that he needed to. So a, a very, very smart player. and really, at times during the season, brought us, even for a
2: minute, what we needed at the time. And I, I do want to point out about Bates Jones. Free throws. Bates Jones hit 100% of his free throws in the season. Four for four. <laughs> the only player on the team to hit 100% of their free throws in the season. Thank you, Bates Jones. I get that point. Because it's, it's attached. It's, uh,
0: do I get like a half point? You know, because no, he hit all his no. free throws? No? No points right, for Bates shot.
2: Jones' free throws.
1: All right. We're going to do a fun category that Jason came up with and then and then proceeded to win, which is uh, Wendell Moore, 10, 5 and 5 games. Uh, We talked about this a lot in the preseason that Wendell Moore was going to be a stat stuffer this season. Uh, Jason predicted that he would have 11. Donald predicted nine. I was the pessimist. I guess that there would be seven. It turns out Wendell Moore had 13, 10, 5 and 5 games this season. He was a real uh, Swiss Army knife for Duke. He could score in the lane. He could shoot a little bit. He could he could pass the ball a lot as we said he he led the team in assists. Um, he was sort of all over the floor for Duke. He was probably Duke's best defender this season. Wendell Moore was he usually got the toughest assignment. So, um, Mark, you know, Mark
2: Williams, Mark Williams, maybe. Well, in, yeah. in the in
1: the topic of in the topic <laughs> okay. of uh, of versatile. one on
2: one defender, one sure. on one defender, he was the um, best. Yeah.
1: inside of seventeen feet. Give me Mark Williams outside. Give me Wendell Moore. So. Uh a, uh, a, you know, I, I don't know how well you guys can tell me how well did Wendell Moore stack up to your overall expectations for this season. I feel like he made a ton of progress this year and, and came back to campus with his body transformed with a lot more skills in his, in his arsenal. He's not, you know, he, he was not an, an, an all American. Um, he, he was not winning national player of the year, or national defensive player of the year, but something tells me that if he comes back for his senior season, which who knows if if that's, you know, in the cards for him, but if he does that all of the honors will be ahead of him because he is, he's demonstrated that he can make all that progress in an off season.
2: Well, there was, there was a period of time um, in November, December, and and even into maybe early January, where he looked like he was going to be in the all American conversation and first team all ACC, even ACC player of the year conversation. Um, I I don't want to say he, it's not that he faded. I think it's that other guys for Duke, Stepped up a little bit more, and and Wendell eased back a little bit as a result. Um, especially late in the year, when when Jeremy Roach took on more and more of the ball handling duties, uh, and Wendell Wendell was sort of playing a, a point forward for Duke for much of the season, which is why he was getting all those assists. Uh, and, and and that eased off a little bit, but I think that eased off in a way that was was good for the team and and good for you know the long term uh, success of this program making the Final Four. Um, I I hope we will have. You know, next year when we do the stats game, we got to think of someone else to sort of give this stat stuffer category, too. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be derek Whitehead. Maybe we'll see if one of the other one of the other guys has returned. But uh, but yeah, the, the notion of thing, a guy.
1: Yeah. The fun thing, Jason, about the stats game is that we can change it every year depending on the makeup of the team. Like we we created this category um, sort of on the fly because because we were so excited about this possibility for Wendell Moore.
2: Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what the summer of practices and and the word out of that brings for us, you know, maybe deciding to do the same kind of thing next year for someone else.
1: All right. So moving to our next category, uh, we're going to go to a to a couple of more team oriented ones. Um, This one was players who log over 300 minutes for Duke this season. Uh, I had guessed seven. The two of you guessed eight. That was the right number. Um, Joey Baker did log 300 minutes, but Jalen Blakes did not, uh, Joey Baker was over 400. Jalen Blakes was in the 100s. There was a very clear drop off in that, in that 300 number. So the two of you get to, uh, both get a point for that category. I did want to move on to one of the fun ones, unless we had a reaction to that, uh, move on my friend, move on. The next, next category is one that we always have a good time with, uh, this year, Donald was the champion, not Jason in walk-ons total points, Donald guessed ten. The real number was sixteen. Michael Savarino won this category for Donald all by himself. He had uh, he had one DUI and twelve points scored. in I'm oh, sorry. Uh, he. <laughs> oh
2: my god! I I can't believe you went there, Sam.
1: That was pretty bad. Uh, Michael rah, Savarino rah, did didn't he win? He, he won. He won some kind of uh, academic achievement award at the yo, final yo, four he too. Won,
2: yes, he won. He won this award of all the players at the final four. He had the highest GPA. His GPA is like three point eight something something. Three point eight. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. way better, better than, than my GPA at Duke.
1: Better than my GPA. Uh, so so good on him. Uh, he also if got you, the loudest booze. If you
2: cut his if you cut his GPA in half, that's about what my GPA was at Duke. Uh,
1: he did he did also get the loudest booze at the Final Four, which is really impressive for a guy who did not make an appearance on the floor. So that's and, uh, that's how much people hate Coach K. I
2: I think that I lost this category because I wasn't smart enough to think about the fact that. Coach K in his final season was going to find a way for his grandkid to get a few more opportunities than usual.
1: I will say that, uh, yeah, if you remove Savarino, uh, Jason got pretty close. The rest of the guys combined for four points. That was Keenan Worthington, Spencer Hubbard uh, combined for four points. Jason guessed five, I guessed seven, Donald guessed 10. So that's Donald's point. Uh, We'll move on to another uh, category that's a favorite of Donald's. The number of hundred point games for Duke. This is a category that Donald and I split. We both guessed two, Jason guessed one. Duke scored 100 points each against the Citadel and South Carolina State. So, Jason, do you have anything to say for yourself?
2: I, th- I hate this category. <laughs> <laughs> you hate it. You hate it. This Donald, is the category.
0: I'm always linked with this category because I by, picked by the 10 way, folks, one year because I was ambitious.
2: Right. I was going to say, so everyone knows because we have all these new listeners, people who are tuning into the D-Bear podcast for the first time in the past year or so. Was it two years ago? I forget when it was. Donald that was 2019. 2019 Donald predicted Duke would surpass hundred points in 10 games. Yeah, Donald, like didn't,
1: a, Donald didn't quite do the research uh, on that one.
2: <laughs> hey, I, totally had, I,
1: I bet on myself and bet on my team
2: and I lost. Yeah, but, but it, it is worth, <laughs> it is worth noting that after the, the Kentucky game to lead off that season where Duke blitz, Kentucky, it was like one hundred and we scored like 110 points. It was destruction. Donald looked like he was going to win that category. <laughs>
0: And then right. we, didn't, we didn't do it the rest of the year.
2: So
1: uh, moving on, we'll, we'll have one that is a, another team category that is a sad one. We'll have a happy one in a second. This is a sad one. Uh, we guess every year the Ken Palm defensive rating as of. Selection. Oh, my
2: God. Mm.
1: Uh, so, oh. so, Jason, we thought Duke was going to be a, an OK defensive team this year. Uh, Jason thought that Duke would be the eighth best defensive team in the country. Donald thought they'd be 14th. I thought they'd be 16th. Turns out, as of Selection Sunday, Duke was the 44th best defensive team at, uh, uh, at, at the selection show. So uh, I get to win that category, although I certainly don't feel good about it because uh, man, that was tough
2: in spite of no, that. Duke, I, I, I kind of feel like, I don't know that you completely hey, it, deserve a point on this
1: one. It's all, Hey, it's all about directionality. Uh, we do this on all the other categories and, and this one I, I was not asking for clarification on from you guys. So uh, I'm getting, I'm getting <laughs> that one. It's so
0: you, you get
2: guess the point. I'm not I'm not worried. You guessed 16th. We finished 49th. You know, I know I know your number was, you know, into the regular season, but into the postseason, Duke was 49th. You're gonna take a point for that.
1: It's impressive that, that Duke managed to get worse on defense during the tournament and still make the final four. <laughs>
2: it is amazing, um, isn't it? That's because of that uh, offense, our offense, we were number one, people, number one in offense.
1: Yeah, um, bummer. Didn't win the national championship code. That get, that gets to go to Kansas, and then they get sanctions coming. So, uh, bully for them. Mm. Number of road wins that, that Duke got this season. Guys, maybe the, the best thing, one of the best things, I don't know if it's the best thing, but one of the best things about Duke's uh, 2022 season, Jason predicted seven road wins. Donald and I predicted eight. Duke managed to win nine road games this season. The Blue Devils went really nine impressive. and two. Road killers. Nine and two on the road. Only one road loss in conference play. Uh, They lost at Ohio state um, and, uh, and and meanwhile, and meanwhile, right. They went 15 and three at home on the season compared to nine and two on the road. And when you strip out all the non-conference games, because let's face it, most of Duke's conference games or non-conference games at home tend to be games that are fairly easy to win. I'm not going to bring up Stephen F Austin, even though I just did Uh, Duke only went seven and three in conference at home and went nine and one on the road. So a pretty, pretty weird year. Um, despite uh, the Tar Heels getting to dance on Coach K's grave a few times, uh, nobody else did. So I don't know if we take, I don't know if we take any solace in that, but, but that did happen. All right. ACC teams in the NCAA tournament.
2: Mm. This
1: category was a bloodbath. Uh, I predicted that Not nine good. ACC teams would make the tournament. Jason predicted eight. Donald predicted six in the actual number. I just wrote LOL on the, uh, on the spreadsheet. Uh, the ACC had five teams in the in the NCAA tournament. So Donald gets the point for that one. We will finish up. And guys, I don't know if we have reflections on the ACC. It turns out the ACC had three teams in the Elite Eight. They had two teams in the Final Four and, of course, one in the National Championship game. It's not really redemption. Uh, the ACC did not play well in non-conference play. They deserve to get five teams in the tournament. But, man, what a bummer. But don't sleep.
0: Uh, what a bummer Everyone said conference. that it was
1: a down year, and it turned out everyone shouldn't have been sleeping on them.
0: Well, what, what many
2: people what many people have pointed out is the you know one of the great failings of the advanced metrics and all these other things that that look at and rank conferences is once you hit January, no one plays non conference games anymore. It's just it, it's almost unheard of. And and it would be a great thing if the major conferences or the NCAA or someone could could get together and figure out a way to to fix that and, and schedule you know maybe it's a week or you know at some period of time during you know february perhaps that you schedule some non-conference games but the the reality is we didn't know how good the acc was once we hit january because we were only playing against each other and so these teams clearly improved and, and showed in the ncaa tournament and in the nit the ac teams did very well in the nit that they were better than they were in november and december do you guys remember a couple of years ago i guess it was maybe like Four or five years ago, it was
0: obviously pre-COVID. They used to have a weekend in like mid-February that they called like Bubble Buster Weekend, and it was a bunch of mid-major teams and like yeah, lower ESPN power five teams right. that yeah. played against each other in an effort to kind of boost their non-conference profile. That would be really cool because those were inch Again, it, it breaks up the monotony of conference season. I'm not saying that Duke needs to participate in that, but it would be cool to see some teams kind of recreate that and kind of give it. Because again, when they that was back when the the Final Ten. Uh, games was was one of the co- metrics under consideration by the tournament committee, so they always did it where that it would enter into that final ten games. So you could say, oh yeah, they now conference games. You know, Gonzaga beat you know Missouri, and they should be in the tournament. I think it'd be interesting to kind of bring that back.
1: All right, guys, one last category in the stats game, and then we will take a quick break. Number of total wins for the Blue Devils this season. The final number, of course, was thirty-two. I guess 31, I'm going to take this category. Both Donald and Jason were a bit more optimistic. They guessed 36 and 35 respectively. But what I was thinking as I was looking at this is, man, 32 wins and Duke made it to both the ACC final and to the NCAA final four. I'd say that's, that's a, that's a pretty damn good year, you know, better than, better than the majority of Duke seasons under coach K a bummer that they didn't win the national championship, but, uh, but great to make a final four. And, uh, and great to get close in the ACC tournament. They get to hang a Final Four banner. They get to hang an ACC regular season banner. So thoughts on on total wins. And maybe uh, since I figure both of you have, have thoughts on this, Donald, why don't you go first?
0: Yeah, I mean, getting to the Final Four is a tremendously successful season. Uh, I, I, Pepper's Farm remembers three weeks ago when people were saying, oh, Duke won't get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Pepper's Farm also remembers that people didn't think, even though we won the regular season, that Duke would contend to win the ACC tournament. We got to the final. We got to the final four. Uh, I, I'm so proud of this team. It, 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 it fell just short. It wasn't for lack of effort. There was times during the season where we said, hell, you know, these guys aren't playing well. But the effort was always there. The effort was always present. In previous years, there were games where you couldn't say that. And so I think for this team and with the pressure that these guys had all season long, with it being Coach K's final season, the pressure that they had to carry with them the entire season, is something that I, I don't think Duke fans will really uh, soon forget that, you know, the, the moxie and the, and the just the level of admiration that I have for this particular team and all that they had to carry all they had to endure in the fact that they went out and played like champions. They may not have been crown champions, but they definitely played like it.
2: So I'm very, very proud of them. Sam, I believe I, I had, I had, the, I was the one who had 35 victories and, and Donald had the 36. I, I think that's the case. Uh, Look, there's a reality that if you were if you're trying to to do this category in an optimum kind of way, you're not picking something in the mid to upper 30s the way Donald and I did. We we bet with our heads, not uh, we with our hearts, not with our heads. Uh, It it is really really hard to win 30 games. That's just that's just the truth. And and for this Duke team to put up 32 victories and really, you know. They, they were within a, a hair's breadth of, of getting even more than that. Um, uh, and, and by that, I mean significantly more than that. It was a really, really, it was a tremendously impressive season. I mean, look, North Carolina, you know, the, Carolina can crow all they want about what a great season they had. They only won 29 games. Anytime you win 30 games, you had a heck of a season. And, and this team winning 32 uh, uh, in the one and done era you know, the Duke has been in for, for a little more than a decade now. Um, I, I, this, this team goes down as probably top three, um, maybe top four uh, in that, in that entire time period. And, and uh, it was, it was a great club to watch and, and a ton of fun. I mean, we went 32 and seven and of those seven losses, what was it four or five
0: were by a combined, like 12 points, you know, like oh, yeah. we had a lot oh. of close losses, A lot of losses where we had the lead at the, you know, in the middle of the season, we had a lot of losses where we had the lead with a minute left in the game and we ended up losing those games by one or two points. So I'm not concerned about the point total, because again, a a ball rolls, you know, differently or a 50, 50 ball goes our way. You know, we're looking at 36, 37 wins. We're looking at a team that's on the verge of a national championship. And we're looking at a team that is considered one of the best ever. So I I think that's, I'm okay with that.
2: The the game the home game against North Carolina, and the ACC tournament championship game against Virginia Tech, where Virginia Tech went bonkers and never will never shoot that well ever again. Um, Those are the only two games all year where Duke did not have a lead in the final five minutes of the of the game. Uh, You know, think about that. Basic, you know, there there are plenty of times your team's playing and you're like, we're not going to win this game. You you just know you know, ball games over. And, and even though there's still time to be played, that didn't happen. There are only two occasions all season long where that happened for Duke, where in the final, you know, three minutes or so, you were like, this is not happening for us. Every other time Duke was on the floor, they were in position to win the game. They didn't win all of them, obviously, but, but that is a really, really impressive thing. And with, like I said, with a couple more bounces with a little more luck, uh, this this team would have had one of the most impressive records of any Duke team.
1: And to cap it all off, Coach K managed to pass 1,200 wins as a result of, of Duke getting there. He ends up with 1,202. Uh, so Duke needed and, to And 101 games. in the tournament. Yeah. So, um, so, so a, amazing uh, milestone for Coach K, one that I know that we talked about during the season is going to be hard for anybody to top.
2: At, at the final four during, I forget where it was. It was one during one of the commercial breaks they, they put up on their big screen, by the way, that the Superdome um, has really, really impressive uh, video <laughs> screens. They, 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 they rival anything I've seen in terms of resolution and such, but they put up on Jason, those. And I'm screens.
1: surprised. I'm surprised. You think that as a, uh, as an Atlanta resident, because when I went to the Mercedes-Benz super or oh. not the Superdome, but Mercedes-Benz stadium in, in Atlanta has some pretty cool screens.
2: It does. It does. I'm just, I'm saying this is this. I I think the, the, the uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. uh, No, it's now,
1: it's now the Caesars. It's now the Caesars. Whatever. Yeah.
2: Okay. Caesars. Whoever (laughs) the corporate sponsorship Superdome in new Orleans rivals, anything, including the fabulous stadium that we have here in Atlanta. But the point I was going to make was at one point they did a thing where they, they showed coaches throughout all the NCAA, who had hit significant milestones through the year. Like they said, here are the guys who hit 200 wins, 300, 400, 500. Once they got to 500, there there was a gap. There were no coaches who hit 600, 700, 800. But then after the coaches who'd hit 500, they showed Coach K hitting 1,200. And just it sticks out for you how far he has lapped the field, so to speak, how far ahead of everyone else he is, that he hit a milestone this year that like literally if you cut it in half, it would have been more than any other milestone that any other coach hit in this season.
1: So that will do it for the stats game. Oh, wait, I need to tell you who won. Cause I'm not sure if you guys were counting along this season, Donald with 11 points is the champion of the stats game. If, uh, if we had counted my point for, uh, for, for picking the, uh, the assists leader, then I would have tied Donald with 11. So I get, uh, I got 10 points. Donald's got 11. Jason comes in third with six points. So better luck next Let's year, go. Jason. <laughs> but, uh, I will, I will let Donald, uh, give his victory speech. Now, Donald, the floor is yours. I would like
0: to thank everybody and nobody for these stats because a lot of these were stupid and a lot of these I guessed, but they all ended up turning out to be great. Thank you all. Uh, I don't have a trophy. I don't have a championship belt. We've been working on it for a few years, I'm just going to say we're going to continue to work on getting this trophy and we'll pass it around. But, uh,
2: yeah, I, I like this. This is a great day. I, I believe that I was the defending champ from last year. So the fact that I came in third this year, it takes a little bit of the sting off to say that. I, I have uh, only four words to speak. Wait till next year.
1: You could have just gone with next play. Uh, that's the, uh, uh, you're right. The, I could the, have. The old, the, have. old Coach K adage, we will be, we'll be back <laughs> Uh, to do to do the stats game again next season in the first year of the John Shire era, I'm sure it will be a lot of fun and perhaps even more random than than it has been in years past. Because at least we could we could sort of count on like, oh, we know how Coach K is going to manage the bench, and oh, we we sort of know which guys are going to be deployed which way next season. Lots of new players coming in and a new coaching staff, so um, all kinds of stuff up in the air for us.
2: Yeah, uh, we we definitely have to have a you know number of players who hit. I don't know. What is the threshold? A hundred minutes per game. I'm not, I mean, I mean, a hundred total minutes. I think that'd be a, a fun one because under coach K you could pretty much book that number for being like seven, maybe eight. And, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what we, we have from John Shire next year.
1: Yeah. We're, we're going to speculate all summer. I think about how different John Shire could be as a coach uh, tactically. From, from Coach K. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will reflect a bit on the Coach K era, a bit more, I suppose, on the Coach K era. We're going to read one really nice listener email that we got that we thought was pretty cool. So stick around. Welcome back. I want to start with a, a bit of a clip that Jason's going to introduce for us from a video that the NCAA tournament or the NCAA, I guess, made about coach K and, and released this weekend. Jason, what are we about to hear?
2: So, uh, so first of all, uh, we will put a link to this in in the episode description so folks can find it. The, the NCAA, uh, I believe in conduction and in in conjunction with Warner media uh, produced a, a tribute to coach K. It, it begins with, him reflecting a little bit on his own career and, and, you know, and, and, and the players he's played for and, and the journey that it's been in the such. And, and then the NCAA had him sit down as he watched this video that included uh, both highlights and, and statements and quotes from, from a bunch of guys who've played for him. Uh, and, and we got to sort of watch coach K emotionally react, react to them. And, and toward the end of the video, it, it isn't just players, um, obviously, you know, his grandson, uh, Joey Savarino, uh, is, is featured in the video. And then, um, Mikey, my God, I, Joey, Mike, I always get his dad and his, <laughs> uh, Michael Savarino. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, we, 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 then also in the video, you also hear from his daughters, uh, and from Mickey and, and, you know, coach K, uh, obviously gets tremendously emotional throughout this whole thing. Uh, the video includes Grant Hill, Carlos Boozer, Christian Laettner, Bobby Hurley, Chris Collins, John Shire, Nolan Smith, Wendell, like on and on and on. Um, but it also includes uh, some of the some of the Olympians who played for Coach K, like Kevin Durant, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony. Tom Izzo is in it. It's it's a beautiful, incredible 10 minute long tribute to him. We just want to play like the first minute or so of it um, uh, to give you a flavor. And, and you're just going to hear from Coach K in this portion, but it'll give you a sense of the quality of this production. It's just an amazing tribute to, to the GOAT, to the greatest of all time.
3: No one in the history of the game has been luckier than me. I know when I reflect, there'll be smiles, there'll be tears. Your father came and went
1: like the ocean's tide And the day he left, he never said goodbye
3: Cameron has been my home for 42 years Realizing I'll never walk into Cameron again Coaching a Duke basketball team That seems like, wow
2: Cause if the fires don't burn it down the rains will wash it away
3: Hundreds of times I've come out on the court when there's no one in here. It's dark except for the lights on the national championship banners. It's like a field of dreams. So
1: give me all your pain
3: It's a majestic place.
1: And love will set
3: you free You always miss things that you love and that realization has come over me now. It's an emotional one.
2: And I'll be the star that you need me to be.
1: Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the video. Jason had, had alerted us to it and said, uh, I'm, I'm tearing up watching this. And I was like, I, I don't know how a video from the NCAA is going to make me cry if it's not me being, like, drunk and watching uh, one of the old... Um, uh, one shining moment videos from a Duke championship. But but sure enough, at the end, when, you know, when they start bringing his family in and stuff, I thought it was really cool the way they had him reacting to the video. So I'm sure the Duke haters are watching it and, and barfing. But uh, but for us, it's like he can't he can't feed enough of this uh, to uh, to the Duke fans. So that part was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And honestly, it brings up a story that uh, I don't think I've told on this show before, but it it's obviously about my first real encounter with Coach K. And it was right when I got the headline monitor position at Duke, for those out there who don't know what that is, for all intents and purposes, is the mayor of Krzyzewskiville, the person who helps uh, coordinate all the tenting uh, and K-Ville. Uh, Jason is the first one. I am one of the the older ones at this point now, since it's almost 20, 20 years since I, was, since I was headline monitor. But when he took over, we had a meeting about how everything was going to go. And Coach K shows up at this meeting and everyone's like, what, like what's coach K doing here? And he just kind of calmly sits in the corner and just kind of, he's just like, Hey, I'm just here to you know observe. And if you need help from me, just let me know. And so after I conduct the meeting, he comes up to me and he goes, Hey, look, my office is your office, whatever you need from us. Um, just let us know, because we want to make sure that you guys have a great year And we want you to be able to get the best out of whatever, you know, you're trying to do with Kville, and we go coach. That's really great. And for me, I'm thinking, you know, his staff will get back to me or his assistant will get back to me or whoever. No, it was coach. And throughout the year at various times throughout the year, coach K would show up in Kville unannounced. He would show up under like disguise. He'd have a jacket kind of pulled all the way up. He'd have a hat over his head, just kind of with the brim down. And he'd kind of tap me on the shoulder and be like, Hey, Donald, how's it going with uh, uh, how's everything going out here? And we just spend 10 minutes checking up on, on how everything's going. If, if, if the team was doing something, if the teams were, you know, the players were walking through and, and showing their appreciation and I go, Hey coach, everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And he goes, well, I, I feel like we need to do more. Like, is everyone hungry? Like I'll get pizzas or whatever we need. And without hesitation, he would order pizzas for everyone. And he would say, guys, just the only ask is don't tell them it's from me. Just, you know, say that someone donated some pizzas and it's all good. But every single week, this man would come out, see how things were going, bring pizzas, bring cupcakes, bring whatever um, to the people out there. And he was genuinely interested in what, you know, and just, the, just the, how the, the, the fate of, of all these fans were doing, how we were feeling leading into the games. He knew that he wanted us at a hundred percent. He knew he wanted us at full throat and he was willing to do anything. He, we needed to behind the scenes to make that happen just as such a, such a genuine guy. And, and I know people have their own interactions with him. We always have the coach case stories from the player's perspective when they come on this show. Uh, this is my coach case story. And I think when we look back, the haters will talk about how he's, you know, all these, you know, say all these things about him, about he's being, whatever, that he controls the rest, whatever. I don't see it that way. I think those are haters. He is honestly a genuine person and anyone who in, in years later bumping into him, he would remember me and say, hi, he doesn't, he, he is in a position where he has no reason to remember me from anyone else, but he does. And I think we've learned about some of those stories from other people. I can attest that this guy is one of the most genuine people that you'll ever meet. And we are so thankful that for my entire lifetime that Duke could not be
2: spelled without coach K. And I don't think it ever will be. All right. So I've got, I've got a personal coach K story that I know I've never told um, uh, here before. And I, I I guess, uh, is it personal? I'm not sure it's necessarily personal. I kind of a little bit, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, It was, I don't remember the exact year. It was, um, Mid nineties, mid to late nineties, and the Duke Basketball Report was was a thing, and people on the Duke Basketball Report knew who I was because I had uh, I was very active, a very active participant in the forums, and I got a phone call. Um, they were, actually it was an email asked for my phone number, and then and then a phone call that followed up from from Mike Hemrick, um, who uh, who who is the guy who founded the Duke Basketball Report, and and actually is the person who gave. Uh, me and Sam tickets to the final four this weekend, but Mike asked me, he said, uh, so it it was during the ACC. It was the, it was the end of the ACC regular season coming into the ACC tournament. And this is going to sound crazy, but Mike calls and he said, I just heard from someone at Duke and they don't have a tape of Virginia's latest game. Duke was going to play Virginia in the next round of the ACC tournament. He said, they don't have a tape. This was obviously before everything was on the internet and digital and everything like that. He said they don't have a tape of Virginia's latest game and they really want to be able to, to look at them before Duke plays Virginia. And, and he knew, Mike knew that I worked at CNN and that CNN made, CNN Sports, Turner Sports specifically, made recordings of, uh, you know, of virtually every basketball game that happened in the country. And he said, Is there any way that you think you can help me get, you know, help out the team and get a recording of Virginia's latest game? And so I called over to some friends I had at Turner sports and stuff like that. And they did have a copy of it. Um, and, and, and and I got a copy and I sent it up, I I FedExed it up to, to Durham. And apparently it worked out nicely for the team because I got an email and I want to stress, this was in the early days of email. Emails weren't as ubiquitous as they are today. And I never saved the email because I'm a freaking idiot, but I got an email that was from, an account which purported to be Mike Krzyzewski's account. And it was a very brief email. And I don't remember exactly every single word he spoke, but he said, I just want you to know that you really helped us out with this. And it is, it is always special and moving to me when I hear about fans who care so deeply about this team, that they're willing to do anything to help us out any way they can. And and he said, "I, I just really appreciate, you you providing this to us and i was kind of reminded of it this week because there was a great article i think we talked about it that talks about how obsessed coach k is with watching tape well now i know that i'm one of the people who helped fuel that obsession so that's my coach k story i got an email from him which i've now lost cuz i'm an idiot it
1: would it would be extremely fun if you if you managed to find it again so you're going to have to you're going to have to keep digging through the uh...
2: there's no way it's an email account that <laughs> it, it doesn't exist anymore there's zero chance CNN doesn't have archives of their 1988 emails. It's I just, would have,
1: I would have printed that bad boy out.
2: Yeah, I know. I, it was crazy. And in fact, I, I, I vaguely remember, um, it had, it had like a, a spoofed, uh, email. i like, I couldn't write back to it. I, I do remember that. Um, uh, yes. Like
1: so. I, it, it had some sort of do not reply. Element.
2: Yeah, exactly. Otherwise I'd be texting. I'd be writing to coach K all the time. <laughs> I don't,
1: uh, I don't have a, as, as much direct coach K contact as, as the two of you do. Uh, I remember the first time that I spoke to him, which was as a freshman at Duke, they were having a like intro to to Cameron and, and Duke basketball event for the freshmen. And I think, um, I think they may have been like running some drills in front of us. It wasn't countdown to craziness because uh, it was just the, it was just the, the Duke freshmen that were in there and they serve pizza. Uh, so, so that, that's a through line from, from Donald's days. And I'm sure continues on because pizza is timeless, but, I remember I was, I was eating pizza in the front row and I offered coach K a slice and he, he politely declined. That was the first time that he spoke to me. Uh, I believe that he's spoken to me subsequently in, in press conferences, but otherwise I uh, have not had, had any uh, direct contact with the man. So,
2: Oh, uh, press good. conferences. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, oh, that's my personal interaction with coach K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those aren't, uh, those aren't
0: private though. Those were, those were no. public.
2: <laughs> wow. I, uh, he
1: doesn't yeah, like exactly. Questions. He
2: doesn't like my questions. It's a, let's just put it that way. He doesn't like. That my means
1: questions. that means you're asking good questions. I've had a, had a couple a couple of friends that wrote for the Chronicle and uh, covered Duke basketball, and I think it's it's part of the uh, the trial by fire to become the Chronicle sports editor is that you have to have Coach K just just you know crush you in a uh, in a post game press conference. I think that's just part of the part of the drill.
0: You haven't lived a, you haven't lived until the goat yells at you, whether you're a
2: student in in Cameron or or a journalist. I forget where I saw it. Um, there was someone who was, Mike, uh, Michael Savarino was talking about playing for Coach K versus, versus it being his grandfather. And, and someone was asking him about his, his, you know, his enduring memory. And he said, uh, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, the way he said it was perfect. And, and mine's going to come up short. But he said, his enduring memory of Coach K is nothing of, um, of being on the team but it's when he was like eight years old and he went to a Duke game and he was right behind the bench and coach K called a timeout and the team huddled around and, and Michael, you know, the eight year old leaned in a little bit and he locked eyes with his grandfather just for a moment. Um, And, and there was little, you know, like a smile, a smile briefly came across coach K's face. And then coach K disconnected his vision from his grandson, looked at the team. And as Michael puts it, Michael then immediately learned every curse word in the English language in a matter of 10 seconds from his own grandfather. (laughs) Sounds about right. I I love that story. Uh,
1: Guys, can we can we uh, leave it? Oh, I had I had one email that that we wanted to read. Um, Oh, yeah. Highlander. uh, as we as we mentioned, um, we have been getting a ton of emails recently, and we're trying to respond to all of them. Um, so thank you. Um, please 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 keep sending them. They've been really cool. I think a lot of people have been sharing their own um, their own reflections on on Coach K and the Final Four and the season, uh, all of that. So so we love seeing that stuff. Um, but we wanted to read uh, an email that we got from Highlander. Uh, AKA, he's Dave, A K A Highlander is how he how he signs off. I'm just going to read the whole email. Cause it was great. And, and I think it'll be it'll uh, really nice to, to leave you with. So uh, this was in the wake of the UNC game. So he says, it's just a game. It's awesome when you win and it stinks when you lose, but it's still just a game. It was a one possession battle worthy of the rivalry came down to two miss free throws and a made three hats off to the Tar Heels. They won it more so than Duke lost it. I can live with a loss when my team goes down, giving everything they had now. Now he's going to, I'm back as Sam. Uh, I'll just pause. He's going to talk about something that I think we had had talked about earlier. He says, Kay went backstage to privately congratulate Baycott and speak to him personally. As he left the court, he told Hubert, win it. That's Kay, no matter what some obnoxious Carolina fans might think. Going to miss the greatest coach of the modern era and the only one I have known in my lifetime. The Duke-UNC rivalry will change, sure, but it'll never fade. I was at Duke when Dean Smith retired and stopped dead in my tracks when I heard a student tell a reporter the rivalry wouldn't be as strong no way i said carolina will still be carolina they will come to duke we won't shed any tears or show them any mercy that quote made it into the herald sun this game was big but it's just another chapter in a book that will never be complete like the austin rivers three the more put back capel's heave and wojo's hug the one thing true about the duke carolina rivalry is that it goes on always um and then he uh thanked us for for doing the show and hopes to hang out with us in person which uh which is always fun when we um when we get to uh, meet the listeners, but, uh, appreciate that, that email from Highlander.
0: I've, I've met Highlander a couple of times, uh, at, uh, American outlaw soccer events. Um, really, really good guy. So, and also just incredible words. Uh, I think that sums
2: it up pretty great. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. It, it was uh, an, an incredible email and, and and I love it when we get stuff like this from, from the listeners and I just go, you know, wow, th- those people are smarter than we are. <laughs> really, really beautifully stated. I, I did want to really quickly play off of something that he mentioned there about the Duke-UNC rivalry. I have seen far too many takes, far too many folks who say, oh, UNC beating Coach K and Cameron, UNC ending Coach K's career in the final four gives them the ultimate final one up. This is absurd. This is ridiculous. This is not true. And I would not say this, by the way, if I'm sorry, I'd be saying the same thing if Duke had won that game, because I want to be really clear about something with everybody out there. When Duke plays UNC next year, you will still want to win badly. UNC fans will want to win badly. And if Duke wins the game, there aren't going to be any UNC fans who are going to be like, you know what? I don't care that we lost that game. It doesn't matter because we beat them in the final four. Uh-uh, nah, that's not the way how it works. What you care about is the next game in front of you, the game that's being played at that moment, your current team, the fact that you won in the past at some point, sure, it can give you a little extra joy. Maybe it deflects a little bit of the pain of a loss, but the tension that you have during the game, the thrill of, of trying to win that contest, and the joy you get from winning it, and on the other hand, the sadness you get from losing it will not diminish because of some random result that happened in the past. There's no such thing in a rivalry as, oh, we now win the rivalry for all time. It it doesn't exist. And like I said, if Duke had won this game, it wouldn't exist for Duke either. We will care passionately and they will care passionately about every Duke UNC game. It doesn't matter the stakes. It doesn't matter who's coaching. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. All that matters is what's going forward. And I love that we're going to have this rivalry with them forever. And this is just another chapter in it. Maybe it's a little longer chapter, a little more important chapter than some of the others, but it doesn't end the book.
1: It would take a lot of failure by one program, by really by Duke for this rivalry to, to not be relevant anymore. Carolina has the, has the all-time series lead. So, you know, if, if that is something that motivates Duke and motivates John Shire and all these players to, to keep striving to, to play catch up, I'm totally fine with it. Because, uh, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be alone at the top. You want to be you want to be continuing to, uh, you know, continuing to motivate yourself. And I think it's great that that the rivalry exists in a way. Maybe it's a it's a motivating factor for Duke that they have to keep getting back to final fours and keep playing catch up to UNC. Uh, I hope that UNC doesn't stop trying because it's great for Duke to have um, to have someone right down the road that is just as successful, if not more successful than they are.
0: I mean, so I have a different perspective on this from Jason because in the soccer world, the big rivalry is USA Mexico. And you, the United States beat Mexico at the World Cup, Dos Acero. And no matter what happens in the rivalry, win, lose, we always go back to that. We always say, well, you know, remember 2002? We just, it, it's part of the banter. And I think UNC, until something else happens, they will use it as part of the banter. But the difference between that and this is that in the case of UNC, they broke our ankles. They're on a long touchdown run. They broke our ankles at like the 30-yard line. They started high-stepping, and they fumbled the ball through the end zone for a touchback. That's what happened. So at the end of the day, casual fans will not remember that they beat Duke in the Final Four. They will remember that they blew a 15-point lead in the championship Ooh, game. Donald, I don't know about that. Donald, uh, I no, no, uh... I No, no, no. I said casual fans. UNC fans absolutely will remember it. But casual fans, when you look back five years from now, they're not going to remember that Duke that UNC and Duke played in the final four remember Donald they had to. Donald I do to, not no
1: Donald, no I, I, I do not out. I do not agree with you I I, I think that this is actually more of a trump card than you're giving him credit for no no no
0: I no no I'm not saying it's not a trump card I'm saying that people were going to have to be reminded of it and that's what UNC's job is going to be is to keep reminding us of it because if you remember for an entire week they talked about the fact that they had to remind people why is this so important because they had never played each other People had to be reminded that because people thought that over the course of this whole rivalry that we had played in the NCAA tournament and people did not realize that
2: we had, people are going to have to be reminded of this a few years from now that's going to happen. Well, uh, look, my bottom line, I I, I'm, I'm inclined to not completely agree with you, Donald. I think, I think there was enough hype about this game that, that it will be uh, burned uh, etched into the memory of, of college basketball fans for a long, long time, but who cares? My point is, Duke could beat UNC ten times in a row. I'm still going to desperately, desperately want us to win number eleven. And if we lose number eleven, it's still going to sting and sting badly. So that's what has not diminished, diminished, and that will never diminish. I mean, again, I'll I'll
0: remind you of this. In twenty, it was a 2017 that UMBC beat uh,
1: beat UVA? Virginia. Yeah, yeah.
2: 2018,
1: 2018, because then UVA went and won the championship in 2019.
0: Exactly right? The fact that we have to figure out the, the, the date and everything, most people know that it happened, but they don't remember when, but they do remember that the next year that UVA went back and won the national championship. So that is going to be, part so, if, so all, so all we got to do, let's just win it next year. Then that, then that could be part of the narrative.
1: I'm totally down with that. I would love, I would love for that to be the case. Guys, let's leave it there. Um, keep in touch with us. Emails dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Another call in case you missed it on the last show. If you are one of the folks uh, uh, who won the DBR Bracket Challenge, get in touch with us. Uh, also, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on the show to talk about how great you are at, at, at Pick and Brackets. Because um, you guys are the geniuses, so um, we will talk to you again soon. We've got much more reflection on Coach K, John Shire, and and all the speculation to talk about as far as who's leaving, who's coming, uh, what's going on with the NBA draft, etc. So uh, we will talk to you again soon for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine. I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 414 of the Duke Basketball Report Podcast. can, take us on.